Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. I had to know for an hour before Magic could find out, so I was just saying prayers of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was you know, just so excited for our fan base. everybody to the Lakers legacy where unfortunately we did not make the cut for either the first second or third all NBA radio show team this year thus negating us from being eligible for the designated lit radio show exception but the good news is we're taking our show to Los Angeles our home sweet home because we want to make Los Angeles great again with our danky little radio show Alan you couldn't possibly think of anyone else out there in the universe who can relate to that statement right no Oh, wait, there's that guy, Paul George, right? Yeah, Is that who you're Paul about? George. Yeah, that I told guy. you I was going to say He's no. He's a Laker. He's a Laker. We, that took me a little little bit of a delayed reaction, but uh, yeah. Paul George. No all-NBA team, Los Angeles. All right, well, I'm Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined once again by my co-hosts, Alan Riley and Tommy Alexander. Fellas, we have now had about a week to process... The litness that was winning the number two pick for the third straight year in a row, but also just all the crazy positive Paul George news, and it just seems like everything's coming up Lakers once again. So, 
I'll start with Tommy. How have you guys been coping with all of this pinch myself madness this this past week, Tommy? Uh, it's been it's been distracting for sure. Um, I it, we talked about this all the time before we got the pick, but it was like once we got the if we were going to get the pick, we expected things were going to sort of speed up. And um, it sort of seems like that's happening. There's been way too much murmurs going on from Indiana that uh, and I don't even know necessarily necessarily if it has anything to do with the pick um, or maybe it does. Like even if we don't trade it just because like now we have no incentive to be bad again next year because we don't have our 2018 pick. So it's been kind of exciting but um, I'm sort of with in like a wait and see approach and I'll. I'll get more excited when something more substantial comes along. Alan, what about you? Are you still pretty hyped or has like all the random news and tidbits kind of been, yeah, like Tommy said, distracting more more than anything? I mean, it's been fun for sure. Um, for the last few days, it's been like every single day there's going to be something new. I wouldn't say breaking because it's not as if anything has happened, but some reporter is going to say something about us and someone's going to say something about Paul George and thankfully these little tidbits have been positive, whereas the last few years, everything we've been hearing is negative stuff and all the drama that is surrounding our team. So I enjoy that aspect for sure. Um, so yeah, at this point, I'm just going to kind of have fun with it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because, again, nothing has happened. But it does feel a little bit like what we all grew up uh, experiencing as far as being Laker fans and being optimistic and having things to potentially look forward to. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of options and hopefully they become more and more solidified as we go along and get nearer the draft, which is on June 22nd. So about a month away. Uh, before we get started, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, the less shows LeVar Ball will be appearing on from now till the end of the NBA draft. And Lord knows we need less LeVar Ball and more just basketball. So please rate and review us. It's very easy to do on iTunes. If, you have the, if you're using the iTunes app on your iPhone, you can just search Lakers Legacy, click our show, and then click the Reviews tab, and you can easily make a five-star review, and uh, yeah, that would help us out a lot. Speaking of reviews, today we are going to ask Tommy Alexander to channel Jordan Clarkson. I know we've, I know we already have Jordan Clarkson, but I think Tommy just does a way better job of, of doing Jordan Clarkson. So uh, Tommy as Jordan Clarkson, whenever you're ready. This review is titled, One of the Top Laker Pods by Christopher M. Stever. Laker Legacy Podcast's greatest strength is its many voices. <laughs> I may not agree with what one of them is saying, but another member is likely to challenge that take. And through that back and forth dialogue, the listener really hears the whole issue. That's it. Wow, that was great. Jordan. I, 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 was a, I, was, I wasn't sure whether you were actually going to try and sound like Jordan Clarkson. For a minute, I thought she were, which he is kind of funny. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> true, true. That that sounded very much like Jordan Clarkson. And so I ask you, like I've been asking you every episode, Tommy, what went in to your channeling of Jordan Clarkson? I tried to imagine a guy that was about to be traded for Paul George. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Perfect. 
Uh, Alan, why don't you show... Let's have the real Jordan Clarkson come in and also tell the audience where they can find us because you can also catch us on almightyballer.com as part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network and also Dash Radio. So Jordan Clarkson, set us straight. Hey, man. Yo, Tommy, uh, just want to say, like, that ain't cool, man. Shane, I'm going to be trade, man. Nothing ain't happened yet. I've been working hard. But anyway, you know what I do when I'm working hard from... Uh, what time is that? That's 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. I'm actually up in the gym at 6. But that's where you can listen to these fellas. Lakers Legacy on uh Dash Radio. Yeah, that's what it is. 8 a.m., 9 a.m. on Mondays. Monday mornings. That's, that's Pacific Time. 8 a.m., 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Dash Radio. Mondays. I'm in the gym working my butt off. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be playing with Paul George. Get ready to do that from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Time in Indianapolis. Thank you, Jordan Clarkson. Everybody, yay. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't going to Indy, yeah. man. I ain't going to Indy. <laughs> All right, see you later. All right, so before we get into our the meat of our show, which is going to be a lot of Paul George stuff and a lot of Lonzo Ball stuff, right now the Lakers have workouts happening so far. It's mainly just been for the late first-round prospects. I'd imagine the Tier 1 guys will be coming up within the next week or so. I'd imagine the Lakers would obviously bring in Lonzo, Josh Jackson, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith Jr., even Jason Tatum. Um, Would be cool to kind of see Lonzo, De'Aaron, DSJ matchup for the guards against one another, and then maybe even a Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum wing workout, but we'll see how all that goes, maybe at the end of this upcoming week. I think the most interesting question to me will be, will Markel Fultz work out with the Lakers? Um, Because if there's any truth or credence to the notion that the number one pick is not set in stone, Fultz getting a workout with the Lakers may be a pretty big indicator of that because so far the number the surefire number one prospect has never actually worked out for anybody else uh, than the number one team. So I still find it highly unlikely, but I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on, do you guys think Markel Fultz will work out with the Lakers? I think it depends on whether, whether yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a good question. I don't know I think he probably will. I, I think that Markel Folds to me is the clear shot number one. And I actually don't think it would be like, oh, who else would they take Lonzo? I, we'll probably get to this later, but the Celtics could really use a guy like Josh Jackson. If you're if you're watching them in this playoff series, they they really could use another wing who could defend and who could really develop even into like a stretch four, but a stretch four who's versatile and could fit in that offense. So I don't think it's like a sure, sure thing, maybe, that uh, that Markel is the number one for them. Um, if it was us, I would say for sure, probably Markel. But I think that if we if we see Josh Jackson and other and other guys getting workouts for the Celtics, I think if you're Markel Fultz's agent, you have to look at other teams because I don't know if this is a situation where you would for sure be number two without the, you know, number one pick or like without the uh, without doing a workout. But uh I, I don't know. I think I think it makes sense that if we start to see Markel Fultz working out with the Lakers or, you know, you hear some other to like Philly or some other teams, then then it means that Boston has not like informed his agent 100 percent. We're going to take this guy. So, yeah, I agree. I think it will be very interesting to see if Markel Fultz works out with the Lakers. And if he does, it'll be a pretty a pretty unique situation since that hasn't usually happened. Uh, All right. So with that said, let's get into our show. I think I wanted to start with, obviously, Paul George and a Paul Calypse now. 
Uh, <laughs> with Paul George not making the All NBA first, second, or third team this year, thus negating him from being able to sign a designated player, the DPVE full max exception with the Indiana Pacers as early as this summer. So with that said, everything is risky now. If Indiana decides to go with Paul George into next season, they will risk having him not make it next year as well, which is his last chance to get that exception. So with that being said, it seems like when the news broke out that he didn't make any of the teams, um, I guess I underestimated the impact of that because, I mean, all of us, you know, we expected that to happen, but we just didn't think it would just cause this crazy narrative shift where even Pacers fans all of a sudden started going into panic mode and were acting like everything was on fire, you know? And I think a lot of that was bolstered by the fact that pretty much on the same day, we got a few days in that time span, we had that Woj article, or not a, an article, but he either said it on the radio that the Lakers have actually been informed by either Paul George or someone in Paul's Paul George's camp. He kept it vague. He said the Lakers have been informed to not trade any valuable assets for Paul George because he plans on coming there anyways. And Woj even said, if I were the Lakers, I wouldn't give up anything, which is crazy to hear from Woj. And then on top of that, we had Sam Amick coming out and talking about Paul George, a random story about Paul George and his legacy and what happened after he broke his leg and how he 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 now thinks a lot more carefully about his legacy, and he looks at the Lakers' situation and wants to be the savior that brings them back out of the darkness, which is a crazy story to have in the midst of all this. And then on top of that, we also had Paul George going on Twitter, at tweeting Bleacher Report on an article that says, if the Celtics have the number one pick, they should trade it for Paul George. And he just asked, he just replies at the bottom, at Bleacher Report, and then immediately deletes it. So I think all of those obviously lent itself to adding to more of the panic when everybody found out that Paul George didn't make the All-NBA team. But I think this just goes into, once again, all things coming up Lakers, all this speculation once again ramping up, and all this this confluence of events all coming together. So with that being said, where do where do you guys stand now with regards to Paul George? Because at least for me, you know, I will take a step back and say I was wrong about the leverage play, but I will say this is such a unique situation and I don't think we've ever had a situation like this where it's been so blatantly obvious and maybe also we haven't had a situation where the player or maybe the agent have used the the media in such a way to lessen the leverage of his own team. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I can say, wow, I, I, I always thought that it was always going to revolve around the number two pick and maybe ancillary parts. But now, given everything that's happened and and Woj putting that out there, Sam Amick putting that out there, I think it's been, it, it's, it's been pretty clear now that the Lakers have, you know, 100% of the leverage. And, you know, Tommy and Alan, you guys have said in the past that we're looking to make that DeMarcus Cousins sort of trade, and it seems like that may end up happening. Um, now, I, I want to be clear that I think Rob Palenka has done a masterful job since he's come on, and I, there's no doubt that his agent ties have been beneficial in this uh in, in making these moves and using Wojnarowski as a channel, as a media outlet channel to his disposal. Because I don't think Mitch in the past, when Mitch was the GM, I think Woj was kind of uh, blocked from any sort of intel from Mitch. And in, in a sense, usually when Woj is blocked from intel, because Sam Hinkie from the Sixers did this to him as well, he usually ho- holds a grudge against those teams and won't write positive articles about them and stuff like that. But now that it seems like Palinka's on board, you know, he may have a better relationship with Woj and might even be using Woj as a as a channel to 
up his leverage. And, and that could be the case here, you know, where Palenka is like, and I'm sure it's substanti- substantiated to some level, but it may not be 100% true. But Palenka might just say, hey, Woj, can you tell everybody out there that we're confident that Paul George is coming and that we don't care if he gets traded to another team. And we suspect we expect him to walk one way or another, whether it's from the Indiana Pacers or from the Denver Nuggets or the Boston Celtics, which is a great leverage play on Rob Palenka's part. So I applaud him on that end. And so I guess my question, because this is kind of getting convoluted, is... What do we think about all of the articles that have come out? Do we think that the leverage has solidified to the point where it's 100% in the Lakers' court? Or is it right now just um, the narrative that's being spun by by masterful Rob Palinka? So, Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I uh, do think it is really interesting that all this is coming out now. And, um, you know... Like you mentioned before that Mitch wouldn't give journalists like Woj these types of tidbits. And, uh, you know, you and I were having a conversation the other day and thinking, I wonder if, and again, this is all speculation, the firing of John Black had anything to do with, um, you know, not being very open with the media because everyone was pretty surprised. And by the way, John Black is the former PR director of the Lakers. Like, why did he get fired? What did he ever do wrong? And maybe... um, the way the Lakers were doing things in the old regime was just so old school that we weren't utilizing all of the tools necessary to acquire players and just have good relationships with, you know, these outside sources. So who knows, like, this is definitely a deviation from how things were done previously. And maybe the PR thing had something to do with it. Um, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent sold on let's just stand still not do anything at all because we have all of the leverage because obviously we're not in the room. We don't know what's going on. Like you said, maybe Rob Palinka just floated it out there to Woj, whether it's true or not, just to say it. Um, that being said, if there is truth to all of this, that it's essentially a guaranteed thing. I mean, I think we would all say then, yeah, of course let's, let's stand pat and keep as many assets as possible. And if we are going to give up anything, it's not going to be as substantial as we once thought. So, you know, going back to uh, the interview that we did with um, 8.9 seconds, how he said he would hang up the phone if it were, what was the trade exactly? Was it Julius and JC, basically? Uh, Andy Angela Russell. Andy, okay, so, you know, now we revisit that conversation and maybe hanging up the phone would be quite silly. And, and Tommy even said at that time, no, that's kind of ridiculous. You you need to listen to that offer because we do have more leverage. And after hearing everything this past week, um, I don't think they hang up that phone anymore if we're going to give it a lot of credibility. No, I agree. And uh, in terms of the leverage standpoint, I definitely think that this is a leverage play by Palenka and he's doing it. Uh, he's very He's being very savvy about it. And, you know, whenever you're making negotiations and deals like this, like who knows what his threshold of what he'd accept in a deal is, right? For all we know, right now we're looking at it as, oh my gosh, we could get away with Jordan Clarkson and the number 28th and maybe Lance or Lance Nance and Zubats, you know, or Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle. But obviously when you're making negotiations and dealings like this, you want it to start at that bottom level, right? Or even at the level of Jordan Clarkson. So that if there, you, but you always leave some room for, you know, some negotiation there so that even if it reaches like your final threshold of like, oh crap, I have to give away the number two pick now. 
well, you have to take on Mozgov's contract. You know, it may end up, maybe that's Palinka's threshold. He's just hoping he can get away with anything below that. But even if it reaches that point, who knows if he'd still say yes. I honestly have no idea. But all I know is this is the right way to be doing things at this point. So he may start at Jordan Clarkson. Then it goes to Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle. And honestly, at this point, it seems like he could draw the line at that, you know? But if Indiana decides to be stubborn and decides to risk it, then maybe we do say, all right, go ahead, you go ahead and do that. But also, if Indiana says, okay, fine, fine, what about this? We take the number two pick and we'll take Mozgov off your hands. I don't know if Palenka would say, you know what? Okay, that is actually one of the scenarios where I would say yes in. But yeah, I guess, Tommy, what are your thoughts on this? I pretty much agree with everything you guys said. Uh... It seems absurd that we have Indiana has such little leverage that the best they can get is like, you know, Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson. But I think, like you said, we haven't really seen a situation like this at a team with which has this low leverage, which has a superstar on his last year. And where that superstar is like everything he's publicly saying is like clearly pointing towards one direction. Um and like, not only that, it's like, like you in the beginning when you mentioned that Palenka stuff, it's like it could even be more direct than what we're hearing, you know? Because like, there is such a thing as tampering, and I know, I don't think we've crossed that line yet. But I like, if you start saying things like, if if uh, Paul George's agent comes out or somebody starts like Palenka says, oh, I know that <laughs> Paul George wants to come <laughs> here, you know what I mean? Like. He might actually know, you know what I mean? But you have to you have to sort of play it well in the uh, in the media. And I think Plinka has. But I, I yeah, I think Indiana literally has no leverage. Their only leverage that they had, the only chance they had was if he made the All-NBA team and they could tell teams like, look, we can sign this guy for seventy five million dollars more than you. So if you want to trade for him. You need to factor that into consideration. Otherwise, we're just going to keep them and sign them to this huge contract. You know what I mean? So like and then like we're going to if you are that confident, we'll see how confident you are when he has 75 million dollars like looking at him in the face and he has to walk away from that. So that was like their main leverage and that's gone now. So I don't know. I. I, yeah, I mean, I there's still going to be that camp that's like, OK, well, now really now they since they have no leverage, really don't trade anything. Um I, I tend to take more of the approach of like if you if if a Jordan Clarks and Julius Randall offer is on the table, you're risking literally losing this guy for nothing, right? So if that's the best you can do, that's the best you could do, and you take it. Maybe you don't don't view Julius Randall as like a franchise changer, but he has some value. You know, he's a top ten pick from the last four years. So that kind of talent has value somewhere, even if it's not on your team. Jordan Clarkson was a second round pick, but he should have been a first round pick probably. And he has a a reasonable contract. So again, that's a type of contract that has some value for you or some value for another team if you want to move it. And then a late first round pick. And then obviously you're going to be bad next year. So you'll probably have like a top five pick. So these things are not completely valueless. You know, I think I mentioned to you the other day, like Imagine if we just had traded Pow for like two second round picks when he was in the last year of his contract and we were trying to dump him and Phoenix was like, Phoenix was leaking all this stuff about how 
oh, the Lakers are just asking for something totally unreasonable for Powell. And it later came out that they were asking for two first rounders. And then as the deadline got closer, they reduced that to one first rounder. But Phoenix would only offer two first rounders or sorry, two second rounders. And the Lakers wouldn't have taken it. And like two second rounders is not going to make or break your franchise. But those are important assets to have when you're trying to dump contracts, when you're trying to, you know, do whatever. So like you just you want to get something. And if you're Indiana, I think you definitely have to be viewing this from the perspective of we have no leverage, whatever the Lakers are going to give us. And, you know, if if you're Palenka, maybe you throw out something that looks optically somewhat reasonable, not just like literally Jordan Clarkson for Paul George straight up, which would like work <laughs> theoretically salary wise. But like you, you throw something out there that looks reasonable. If they take it, they take it. If they don't, you're like, OK, you're running the huge risk that he's going to make the all NBA. So you live with it, you know. Yeah, and I think it's going to go from like levels of, you know, like I said, Jordan Clarkson, number 28, and then you go from that to Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, number 28. And the hope is, okay, if you need to grease the wheels with like a Zubats or a Larry Nance, that would really suck, right? That would actually hurt Lakers fans less from a basketball standpoint. I mean, that to an extent, but also from like a personal level, because like we definitely love Zubats the goat and, and Larry Nance as well. And to lose three of those guys that we've grown attached to would be kind of tough. Our our amount of impressions would take a hit. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, that would be tough, right? But if, if you if it takes Zubots to add to that pile to grease the wheels, but we keep the number two pick, you definitely do that, right? But but like Tommy said, it, you, there's like a, a threshold here that we can probably work with and, and Pritchard's really gonna have to decide whether or not he's gonna risk that. Yeah, and Tommy Tommy has said this before, like, if you're Indiana, are you really expecting to get equal value for Paul George? Even if you had a decent amount of leverage, there's there's no way. Like, those types of trades don't happen when you go A-level a player to A-level player. One team is going to get shafted to a degree, you know? And in this yeah. situation, like, they got to be happy just getting anything. Just like if we were to go back and do it all over again... We would have loved to have gotten two second round picks for Powell. That's clearly not equal value, but like Tommy said, down the line, there are other things you can do, uh, you know, creatively to make certain things work. You just want to have stuff to do with as opposed to nothing at all. So, yeah, if you're Indiana, um, your expectations, sure, you're going to go high to start, but meeting in the middle ground probably won't so much be in the middle ground as it is more like heavily toward the Lakers side. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, outside of, you know, the Woj, because the, the Woj article, you could say, like, just purely that's a leverage play. Paul George on Twitter, you know, it's clear he wants out of Indiana. The Jimmy Kimmel interview, like, all this is coming together, right? But I think the one that sold it for me, actually, was the Sam Amick article, because that one came out of nowhere. And usually, a well-respected reporter is not going to write stuff about a, pers- a player's personal, you know, thoughts on his legacy like that going so specifically back to when he broke his leg. Because that article stated, you know, when Paul George broke his leg, he really had to reevaluate his life and his legacy and his career. And when he saw what was happening in Los Angeles, he thought, I can lift them out of the darkness. And I was like, what the heck is this article? You know, it seems like it had to have come from somewhere, you know. And the fact that, you know, I'm not into conspiracies and everything. And the reason why I always kind of, you know, took a level-headed approach about this and the leverage that we had was because regardless of how many people were saying, oh, Paul George is coming no matter what, he already said that. And I was like, no, he hasn't actually 
fully said that his agent hasn't said that every time anybody's asked him he said i love indiana you know but just in the past week or so yeah he still hasn't said it but my god it's like as close to saying it as he possibly can without actually doing it you know what i mean from jimmy kimmel to the twitter thing to sam amick and so that's why i am now like fully on board the other way where i'm like yeah i guess we don't really have to do anything or we're not in a rush to do anything and uh if if Pritchard wants to go into the season with Paul George, then he can. Uh, I guess my, my question to you guys now is, do you guys think that any other team out there will make an offer for Paul George or have they been so spooked by everything that's been going on that they're just like, nah, I'm okay. I still think that the Celtics present the biggest obstacle here, but I don't really view the Celtics as like a legitimate, uh, counterparty here i mean I, I suppose it's possible they really take a risk and throw down like the 2018 brooklyn pick uh you know without going too much into it so much of what they are going to do revolves around can they get gordon hayward or can they get somebody you know this summer for no picks you know and 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 that will fill like sort of the hole that they have in their roster right now I think they would go first through Gordon Hayward, then through Jimmy Butler before even like entertaining the idea of Paul George. And I just think if you're Danny Ainge, based on everything we've seen from this guy, like he's way, way, way too conservative to throw down like the 2018 Brooklyn pick. Um, And then like at best anything, if you're not throwing down that type of top pick at best, any reasonable package they could put together is like, about as good as what we're offering. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not going to say it's, it's worse. I'm not going to say it's better, but like if we're talking about guys like Marcus smart and like Kelly Olynyk and like, uh, you know, I, I highly doubt they would be throwing down Jalen Brown, but like even Jalen Brown, who's like good, but I don't, I don't know if that's the type, that's the type of guy you like build a trade around, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't see them doing that without, reassurance before they did the trade from Paul George like this is beyond let's wait and see like I'm actually going to stay here so like let's just let's just approach this with that perspective so I uh I just don't see that happening and for that reason I'm not really that worried about it I think the one concern is that the Celtics have way, way bigger plans. I've heard that they want to actually try and pair up some of the wings together, whether that's Gordon Hayward and Jimmy Butler or Gordon Hayward and Paul George. So let's say they do get Gordon Hayward and then they're like, all right, we're willing to risk whatever for Paul George. Then that gets kind of tricky, but yeah. that's also a very super weird hypothetical. Yeah. It's like, look, if, if, and, and regardless, it, it, to me, it doesn't become a, then a question of like, well, how much are you going to bid? Because if they throw down the 2018 Brooklyn pick, we have nothing that can compete with that. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like by this point, theoretically, this would be after free agency, et cetera, et cetera. So like we're going to have our own draft pick. We don't know if that's like the draft pick that Indiana wants. And that's our only asset that's comparable would be the number two pick this year. But even that doesn't really compare with the, the Brooklyn pick, which could be like number one again next year. The top five next year is apparently even more like star stack than this year is. So like. I we we if they throw that down, it's like it doesn't even be, become a question of like, uh, am I nervous really? Because it's like we just absolutely can't compete with that. So fine, throw that down and get him, and we have to go back to the drawing board and hopefully Polinka and Magic have like a better plan B, C, D, etc. You know. 
Yeah, and it seems like they do. Alan, do you have any other thoughts on Celtics, or do you see any other team cropping up somehow and risking it? I don't really see any other team doing it. They, I think they'd be quite foolish to do so like we dropped Denver in there. There's absolutely no way Paul George resigns with Denver. Um, if I had to rank biggest threats to us, yeah, it would be Boston, but there's so much... Uh, so many like hypothetical situations that need to arise for it to even become a real concern. I do not see them giving up that 2018 pick from Brooklyn because, like Tommy said, it could be the first freaking pick of that draft again. And Danny Ainge has been so stubborn, you know, with keeping all of his picks in the past. Um, there was that one epic episode we did, uh, last year with Boston drafting everything. And, um, you guys remember that? We did that, yeah, the, the, that live draft. That, that, those yeah. are some good times. We gained some fans on that one, but um, yeah, like with that type of history, uh, I just I don't see them doing that, especially if they're at all worried about Paul George possibly leaving because he is such a Laker guy. Um, so yeah, I, I pretty much agree with. That. Cool. So to wrap this up, I guess my last question is: Where do we stand now? Are we? Are we in like super chill mode where like whatever happens happens, man? Or are we more like yeah, man? Hey, man! If, if... <laughs> Sucks. Uh. Hey guys, whatever happens happens. <laughs> hey. Yes. All right, we've exhausted that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, are are we just in super chill mode, or do we actually now that everything is pointing towards this? Actually, okay, let's go and get Paul George and see what we can really do here, and uh, if we can get him for. Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, number 20, and Zubats, let's definitely do it. And I guess, Tommy, can you, a sewage fan's fears, even the fans were like, wait, I don't want to give up anything. I don't want to give Julius Randle. Why do you think that it's okay at this point to give up Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson and the number 28th pick for Paul George? Uh, it's mostly okay because if we are trying to actually add um, a second superstar in 2018 free agency to pair up with Paul George... We are going to need a little bit more cap space. Uh, Julius Randle is due for a contract extension. And it's not, you know, it might not be, we don't know what it's going to be, but that's besides the point, right? Because his cap hold is still going to be a significant chunk. Um, Jordan Clarkson, he's not making a ton of money, in my opinion, for what he's, what he brings to the floor, but that's still like 12 and a half million or so that is holding up cap space. So, if we were trying to actually, you know, if that wasn't just smoke and Palenka and Magic are actually trying to get Paul, not just get Paul George, but pair him with another superstar in 2018 free agency. Yeah, we have to get rid of one of Dang and Mozgov, but we would have had to have gotten rid of one or two of Randall and Clarkson anyway. Like, I think the ideal would have been, okay, you get rid of Dang, you get rid of Mozgov, Andrew, you get rid of Clarkson, and then you just keep Randall, but... That how realistic is that? <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta give up something. <laughs> You're gonna have to give up something like to get rid of uh, all four, like three of those four, and you can kind of target who the best three to get rid of would be. Yeah, that's idealistic, but I think realistically, between Deng and Mozgov, you're only getting rid of one of those. So that leaves you with you have to get rid of both Clarkson and Randall if you're actually trying to, you know, clear out clear out enough space to to offer a max or even to trade for a guy who, you know, you're not taking too much salary back in that trade um, or you don't have to give up too much going out, I should say, so that, you know, let's say you try to make a, a play for DeMarcus Cousins or something at the trade deadline. Let's say it's like it's not working out with New Orleans and you try to make a move for DeMarcus. Um, you want a little bit cap space, uh, like kind of as a reserve so that 
you can use that space and not send out too many outgoing contracts. Uh, those are the types of things I think they're, they'll be thinking about. But anyway, so when you're looking at trying to get Paul George, that's why I don't think it's that big of a deal to offer those two guys because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of scenarios where like theoretically you have to get rid of those guys anyway. So, so it's like you're killing two birds of one stone essentially because you are clearing cap space too. Exactly, and it, again, that a lot of this revolves on how 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 much of what Magic and Palinka have said is smoke, just to like make Paul George like get excited or whatever. Like we don't know. Like, but if their actual actual plan is to try to get two max players, they would have to do this anyway. Yep, agree. Okay, so my last question is: well, obviously, I know that we'd all do that package, even if we add Zubats or whatever. But at this point, would you guys freak out if it ended up happening? You know, we trade the number two pick, Lonzo Ball or Josh Jackson, and for Paul George, and we also add the the Mozgov contract. Would it shock you guys if that happened, or would you guys be disappointed at this point, knowing that we're coming from a place of such high leverage, Alan? Um, gut reaction, I. It would be so bittersweet, <laughs> you know. It, it would probably be. 55% bitter, 45% sweet. And then with a little bit of time to ruminate over things, I'd probably come around to it. Uh, but at this point, at least I've kind of emotionally tricked myself into thinking there's absolutely no way we do that. Um, but I, I suppose there is a rationale to doing so because um, if you think Lonzo Ball or Josh Jackson is truly going to be better than Paul George at some point in their careers, and they're going to be some pretty damn good players. If realistically you're evaluating them and you don't think that is the case, then I suppose you do it. And that, you know, helps our current core players learn how to win and get into the playoffs sooner and expedite that process. So initially, uh, it'd be like, oh man, like that kind of hurts, but I'm also happy type of thing. Yeah, and I just want to get people prepared. Right, I know it seems unlikely, but it you know we never know. We still don't know what this regime is all about and what they could do. So they could just randomly do it. So Tommy, what about you? Um, <sighs> that says it all. Yeah, nah, I pretty much agree. I mean, that does say it all for me. I, I kind of agree with what Alan said. It would be bittersweet. I I don't. I wouldn't want something like that to happen though. Sure. Okay. So with that said, let's turn our focus now to the number two pick. Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, etc. Uh, it, it just gives uh, Rob and I flexibility to execute our game plan. Uh, he's already been working the phones even before this. This year in particular, there are so many angles to go about this, especially with LeVar Ball saying, you know, He's not going to work out for the Celtics whatsoever. He's going to only going to work out for the Lakers. And so there's even leverage in that. There's even leverage in keeping Lonzo Ball, right? The Lakers just have all the leverage in the world. Um, so there are so many angles to go about this in terms of, is Lonzo Ball the surefire number two pick? Since we also know that we can get L- L- Lonzo Ball at pretty much... I was going to say, since we can also get LeVar Ball. Uh, we are going to get him, whether we like it or not. Um, is there a scenario where we can trade down? and still keep Lonzo Ball, but also extract more value from that? For example, Sacramento has the number 5 and 10 pick. Is it possible that we, you know, make a deal with Sacramento and still get Lonzo Ball at number 5 and also draft another guy at number 10? Do we trade number 2 and someone like Julius Randle or D'Angelo Russell for Fultz? There's so many angles we could go about this, but uh, Tommy, I'll ask you, like, which do, do any of those sound plausible to you, or do you think it's going to be a status quo kind of normal, like, 
we're just going to take Lonzo Ball, number two pick. But I always go back again to, you know, this is Rob Palenka. We have no idea what these guys could have up their sleeves, so... Yeah, I mean, I the thing that's a little bit unnerving to me about this whole process, and I think maybe subconsciously, you know, in hindsight, maybe this is why we were so gung-ho about, like, number one or bust, because this draft with this new front office, like, there's no clear shot number two. This is not like a Brandon Ingram situation where he stood out among the pack as the clear number two. This is almost like two years ago, and I think even more extreme than two years ago, because... Even two years ago with D'Angelo's draft, it was like Porzingis was not the right pick at the right time for us. So it was really for what we were thinking about. We we were thinking about D'Angelo or Okafor. This year, there's so much stuff happening. And there's, you know, there's like five guys I legitimately think we could take at number two, depending on how they look in the workouts. That would make sense. And to top that all off, we have a completely new front office. So I just have no clue what they're going to do. I think... Lonzo Ball, everybody views as the obvious number one pick. But if you polled everybody, including all the media, two weeks before we took D'Angelo, you would have seen a lot of the same stuff. The Lakers are zeroed in on Jalil Okafor. The Lakers view Jalil Okafor as, uh, you know, he could be one of the greats. You know what I mean? All these, like, like literally quotes, you know what I mean? That you're reading in these stupid articles with unnamed sources. Lakers think Jalil Okafor could be, quote, one of the greats. No, 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 no. This was 10 days before the draft. And cle- clearly at that point, they knew they were not taking Jalil Okafor, right? Because they worked him out. They worked out D'Angelo Russell. They knew at that point. They just didn't say anything. And Jalil Okafor was using we in, in during the interviews. He was using like, oh, we yeah, we can do this. Interviews. And I'm He's like, did they tell this guy? Yeah. yeah, I was like, did they tell this guy during his workout? Well, you, you know we're going to take you anyway, right? Like, it, it was just so <laughs> weird. And I sort of see Lonzo Ball is not that extreme, right? Because we would sit around watching Jalil Okafor and be like, I can't believe we're going to take this fool. This is like so yeah, sad. Yeah. Like, I can't. It's hard for me to get myself <laughs> excited about this. Lonzo Ball, you could get yourself excited. Like this guy's a basketball player. Like he would be, he would be very solid for us. But yeah, there's just so many options. I don't think it's as clear cut as as we think it is. And to top again, to top all that off, we don't know what this new coaching. I mean, what this new front office is going to do. In a way, also the coaching staff, because like last year we had just hired Luke like a week before the draft, and uh, he he was sort of coming into it blind. He didn't really give that much input. And he had no supporting coaching staff with him there. You know what I mean? So now we have a full coaching staff that's been together for a year. We have this new front office. We have like, you know, four, maybe five guys we could legitimately take at the number two spot. And and I'm just like so confused. I really hope there's some clarity in the next few weeks because I don't like going into this completely blind. But that's where we stand now. Alan, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Tommy. Uh, I don't know about trading our number two pick to get like the five and the ten. I, I would lean toward things going status quo simply in terms of the order, but in terms of who we are going to take, and you know, I'm one of the bigger UCLA, one of the bigger UCLA fans out there, but I wouldn't say boo, boo, <laughs> boo. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent guaranteed we're going to take Lonzo. He has limitations to his game, as do you know all of the prospects. So. Uh, I know that's a super bland and boring answer, but Josh Jackson is really damn fun to watch, and he has some crazy skills that Lonzo doesn't have at the same time. You know, Lonzo's court vision and playmaking ability and taking UCLA from a horrible season to a very very elite one, that can't be overlooked. Um, 
So I I also don't know what the heck is going to happen. Um, I think if we took Lonzo, I'd probably be the least surprised, though. They'd be like, okay, makes sense. If we took Josh Jackson, might be slightly surprised. Uh, anything beyond that, like to Aaron Fox, that would probably surprise me the most. Yeah, for sure. But obviously, we're surprised now because it's still only, you know, May. But with that being said, before we delve deeper into Lonzo Ball and what he brings to the Lakers and Josh Jackson, um, I had two last questions. One pertaining to, once again, trading the number two pick and then D'Angelo Russell's role with Lonzo Ball here. So, you know, there are rumors out there that, not rumors, actually, um, Phil Jackson has apparently talked to Chris Stapps Porzingis' brother, who is also his agent, and so far there's still a lot of strife and discord there. Um, his brother said that Chris Stapps would want to remain in New York, but he doesn't like the way things are going in terms of everything still being so triangle-focused, and he wants to be in a place where he can really develop and grow. So with that being said, I still think it's very highly unlikely that Phil Jackson trades the pick that he made, Kristaps Porzingis, but if he really can't quell this situation, would you guys trade the number two pick for Kristaps Porzingis? Uh, I definitely would, Um, and that's just more of a need thing. We need somebody like Kristaps on our team. Uh, more than we need any of these other guys. That's not even to say, like, I mean, I'm very high on Chris Stapps. I'm not trying to say that, like, but I'm still not going to jump to a guy who's been in the league for two years that, like, he is so much clearly better than, like, Josh Jackson or any of these other guys. I just think because Chris Stapps is a sure thing um, and you kind of already know what you're getting, he fits a need. He's, like, this new modern big, like, if it actually came down to that, I would 100% do it. I just don't think that I don't think that that kind of thing happens, really. You know what I mean? You're not getting yeah. like it's how rare is it that you a 21 year old like clearly rising star gets traded for another top pick? Like here, I'll give you an example. In the I forgot which draft it was, but pretty much when the Clippers traded for Elton Brand, he was in his year two after two years of averaging 20 and 10, like legit 20 and 10 off 50%. And they traded the number two pick exactly Tyson Chandler for that. So it's happened before, but it's a very rare scenario. But I think you'd agree. Yeah, you'd probably do this. And also you do it because at this point, I'd rather trade the number two pick for Chris Stapps than for Paul George, because if we trade the number two pick for Chris Stapps, then we can really be in, ah, we'll just wait and see. I think Paul George would want to run here next year yeah, to play exactly, with Chris Stapps, you know. Then you're not gutting any of your young players, and Chris Stapps is not due for a contract extension next summer, so you literally could just sign Paul George straight up, probably even if you're able to clear a little cap space, sign somebody else. And then you're looking at, like, it's just like a, a like embarrassment of riches, you know what I mean? You're looking yeah. at, like, Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell, Paul George, I, I, sorry, uh, Julius Randle, uh, Brandon Ingram, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, Larry Nitz yes! Jr., Evita Zubats, and then you're adding Paul George to this equation. Like, that's just, that's too insane. Yeah. Alan, what about you? I'd love it if it happened, but it's not going to. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Come on, Phil. Come on. Do, 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 do Genie one last solid. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry things didn't work out. You can have Staps. All right, cool. So let's move on to the last uh, number two question. So D'Angelo Russell, you know, we heard right afterwards, after we got the number two pick and everybody assumed it was Lonzo Ball, that all of a sudden teams started contacting Rob Palenka for D'Angelo Russell. People kind of ran with that and said, oh, yeah, the Lakers are ready to trade him. But really, it was just outside attention from other teams. It wasn't like we said, we're ready to trade D'Angelo Russell. So I wanted to get your guys' quick thoughts on what this means for D'Angelo Russell's um, place on the team. Because for me, I still always go back to 
it's so it doesn't make sense to trade D'Angelo Russell even if we're getting Lonzo Ball and we'll get more into why in terms of the fit in a little bit but for me it goes back to if we're planning to get Paul George one way or another and it seems like that's the case whether via trade or free agency Paul George is going to want the one established guy out of our young core to be there with him, and that is D'Angelo Russell. He's not going to trust second-year Brandon Ingram. He hasn't seen enough from Julius Randle. He's not going to trust Lonzo Ball from UCLA. He's going to say, who out of this young core can I actually trust and and see that it is on the fringe of being something good? Not even an all-star, but just someone that already knows how to play. You know, It would be D'Angelo Russell, so I would want him on that team. So it wouldn't make sense to me to trade D'Angelo Russell because I'm sure Paul George's agent, who they have the same agent, by the way, would say, nah, Paul George doesn't want D'Lo going here. In fact, his his agent might actually want the number two pick to come over to Indiana instead, but I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, the Lakers potentially shipping D'Angelo Russell out, Tommy? I, I mean, I see where it comes from in the sense of like, because the top five potentially has so many point guards this year, at least like three that three that I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, maybe if you're the Lakers, you're thinking like, OK, well, whatever, if we have to ship out D'Angelo. We still have this other pick or even after you draft uh, a guy like perhaps Lonzo, you're thinking, OK, well, now we have Lonzo. Let's ship out D'Angelo. But I tend to agree with you that. D'Angelo is the closest to where he's going to get. You know what I mean? Like he's already entered. He's about to enter his third year, second year uh, running Luke's offense. Like we saw he took like maybe not statistically, like superficially took a big leap, but just visually like took a big leap. Like he seems a lot more comfortable with what's going on. He moves around the floor a lot faster than like a 19 year old, a new 19 year old point guard would um, just because that's like a, a whole thing. And I'm just not convinced that he can't play with one of these other guys we we draft. So I think for all these reasons, you know, you you stack your assets into tiers. And I think D'Angelo is still clearly part of our tier one of assets. So you can't just let some you can't just move somebody like that for no reason. Like and and like you said, I don't think Paul George would want D'Angelo to be moved in a trade for him. It's sort of like similar. I can't remember if I brought this up before, but it's like when Kobe demanded a trade in like 2006, right? Like mm-hmm. the Chicago Bulls were offering all these guys and Kobe was telling them like, look, because he had his no trade clause. He when he he I'm pretty sure he was screening these trades as they were coming in from his mm-hmm. agent because of his no trade clause. So he was like, I'm not accepting this. I'm not waiving my no trade clause because they're giving up too much. I don't want a gutted roster. And he specifically was excluding Derrick Rose. And Derrick Rose was like a second year player at this point just because like who knows if it's going to work out with you guys, but like you just want those assets around because you're not like an idiot. And you know that if your front office has assets, they can make, they can make moves. So I don't, I don't think it was even Derek Rose. I'm I not even sure dang. if it was on the, it was dang. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it ultimately was. Right. Like they were offering like dang, uh, Kirk Heinrich, like they were, it was like, it was too many guys, Ben Gordon, like too many guys for Kobe. Right. But it was even, I I I vaguely recall at that time there was something about like Derrick Rose is like completely we don't even put him on the table you yeah, know what yeah. I mean so I don't know if this is that extreme but I, I think the general idea stands sure and Paul George pretty much has a an implicit no trade clause because of the leverage he's floated out there or the the news that he's rumors he's floated out there so Alan what about you well I think it's cool that teams were calling about D'Angelo the second we got the number two pick because that means that he holds value around the league you know sure. like teams want him and I mean we can kind of take that as a compliment um I'd be curious as to see what 
the Lakers would want in return and what teams would be willing to give up in order to get D'Angelo. Not to say we should do it, but I would just be curious um, what that talent evaluation looks like around the league. But I agree, uh, the Lakers should not do it. And like you said, Jonathan, it's not like we put the for sale sign up on him or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty sure if I'm Paul George and I'm looking at my potentially new team and I see the point guard get traded, I'd be like, what the heck? Like, no, 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 don't do that. And even if we do take Lonzo, you know, we saw D'Angelo play off ball for the last few weeks of the season. He was playing at the two with Jordan Clarkson at the one. I think there's a pretty obvious reason why we were experimenting with that, with that type of lineup. And he played extremely well in that scenario. So uh, I do not think something like that would happen. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, and it would be silly to assume that just because we've, we're getting a point guard that we're going to trade the other one since we haven't yeah, seen them it's, play it's together. It's not that straightforward anymore. Like these days, it's a positionless NBA. We've said it like, you know, a bajillion times. Exactly. All right. So with that said, our the last few minutes of our show is going to be focused uh, squarely upon Lonzo Ball and whether or not he is for sure the number two pick. And obviously, we're, as we go along and get near the draft, we're going to have, you know, draft analysts come on and talk about Ball versus Jackson versus De'Aaron Fox, We're going to have LeVar Ball come on the show. Oh, no. It's Just okay. kidding. That, <laughs> I, I, I forgot. That's how many ratings we're going to get. So, like, he's actually not going to be on the show. E- exactly. So, we'll just do kind of like a summarized version for now. This will probably be Lonzo Ball part one. So, with that being said... I, I think out of all three of us, I'm the least optimistic about Lonzo, or I have the, the most questions. I've always been, I guess, the 60-40, the skeptic on Lonzo Ball. I have done a lot more research over the last week, obviously, as you've looked on our Twitter account at Lakers Legacy Pod. I've been posting these great gifts of Lonzo Ball's passing vision, him in transition, his athleticism, etc. And obviously, after watching more of his tape, I've become more enthralled and can see the potential in him, especially in Luke's system. So I wanted to kind of delve deeper into how he would fit with the Lakers and specifically Luke, because I I think that, you know, obviously Markel Fultz is an easy plug and play kind of guy, but I also feel like Lonzo Ball is the same type of player. You can pretty much plug him into any system and he would allow that offense to really hum along and wouldn't really detract from anything. The problem becomes... The problem comes in if you view him as some superstar player who will aggressively take over your offense, be able to create his own shot and score 30 points a night, because I don't think that's a realistic outcome at this point. I don't know, maybe down the line he could eventually get to that level, but right now I view him strictly as a Draymond Green, Lamar Odom type plug-and-play player who will be an ultimate glue guy for for your team, um, because he can shoot. You know, he, he's pretty athletic, especially in transition, and he can pass the heck out of the ball without needing too many dribbles and without that much usage. Now, obviously, the weaknesses and problems come with the usage part because um, at UCLA, he had an outlier percentage at the rim, field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, etc. cetera. Uh, his only bad percentage was at the free throw line, so that brings into, you know, question whether or not his shot will fully translate because usually free throw percentage has a high correlation to three-point percentage, but... Given we've seen enough footage of this guy hitting 40-footers, I don't think that should be a problem. But he ha- he did have a very, very high outlier field goal percentage at the rim, 78.9% to be exact, which is crazy. Like, nobody else really touches that. But, you know, the context behind that is the fact that out of e- 
most all other guards in the past couple years, he's also been the highest assisted at the rim. For comparison's sake, D'Angelo Russell, like D'Angelo Russell had a higher unassisted percentage at the rim than Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball had 51% of his shots at the rim assisted versus guys like D'Angelo Russell was only at 34% in college. Markel Fultz was only 17%. Lending itself to the fact that Okay, one, we know that Lonzo Ball is a great finisher when he gets into the lane, but it seems like most of those shots are happening in transition or back cuts or him cutting to the rim or getting alley-oop dunks from people, which is great. You know, he doesn't, he knows that he, he doesn't need to force anything, but also it lends itself to, oh, in pick and roll situations, if he has a chance to attack, he rarely ever does that as well. And that's the other stat that I want to throw out there that, you know, kind of lends itself to questioning his game a little bit because Yes, UCLA system did not have a lot of pick and roll plays designed in it, but it's also like the simplest form and simplest play in basketball, right? And the very few times that he did run it, he didn't run it well. He'd either get turnovers or instead of taking it all the way to the rim to get his own shot or like lay it up and put the pressure on the defense, he'd often just pass it out or force a pass. So that's definitely something he needs to work on on the NBA level. But I guess because we were talking about D'Angelo Russell, this is why you need a D'Angelo Russell type guard next to him because Lonzo Ball is pretty much elite in transition. He's like Ben Simmons at the point guard spot. He averaged seven rebounds in college as well. So you know he can get the board and like run it straight down. In the half court, I expect D'Angelo Russell to be the lead guard who will, when the offense bogs down and we just need someone to score or we need someone to run a simple pick and roll play, D'Angelo Russell will be the lead ball handler there. And Lonzo Ball will probably be the one curling off of screens and D'Angelo can hit him for an open three or hit him for an alley-oop dunk. So um, I guess having said all that, what it, like I want you guys to convince me more and more like why Lonzo Ball is um, a good fit for the Lakers and why he's this surefire number two pick. And, you know, I'll go with uh, Alan first since, you know, you love Lonzo Ball. And I just want to preface, preface everything by saying this is not like a USC Trojan hate for like the UCLA prospect because... You love Zach years- Levine. Yeah, I love Zach Levine. A couple of years back, I wanted the Lakers to pick Zach Levine at number seven. I still do. If we could go back and do it, I would still do that. Let's so do it. It's Let's definitely do it. not that. Let's do it right Let's now. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alan, Lonzo Ball, why Why are you enamored by him, especially because you watched him all, all season long? Yeah, uh, you know, you said he's not going to be your 30-point-per-game scorer. And if you look at him in college, there were a lot of games where he would only get, like, 10, 11, 12, 13 points. But then you'd look at the rest of the stat sheet, and he'd have double-digit rebounds and obviously double-digit assists. Um, So I I really do like your Lamar Odom-Draymond-Greamtie comparison, where he affects the game in so many other ways. You don't really have to worry about him scoring, and you can be perfectly fine with that. And with our roster is currently constructed we have a lot of scores so you know one could argue if pure scoring were his penultimate strength that's a bit redundant with our team right now because that's what we have is a lot of scores um so yeah he can absolutely be that glue guy and when it comes to uh playing off ball i could completely see him coming off of screens he's a great catch and shoot player um you know, despite his unorthodox release, you know, as as we said before, he's jacking it up from like 40 feet constantly. And sometimes that's right off the dribble. So um, he, he does have a really good catch and shoot like mechanics. Um, he t- has a really quick two step once he gets the ball in his hands and he can get that separation from the defense. Um, so I, I do see him fitting in in that sense for sure. And 
as far as like Luke's system, obviously we want to push the ball and that is 100% what he is known for is his burst of speed where he'll be running at kind of like a mid-level speed. Uh, com- you know, comparatively, it's like Le- D'Angelo's speed, and then suddenly he'll just turn the jets on and he'll get to the rim. Um, and he's also really good at kicking it out once he does get into the paint to some other three-point shooters. So hopefully, you know, Brandon Ingram's been in the gym, and I don't know if you guys saw the videos of him working out with like our assistant coaches, just on pure like shooting mechanics, five feet away from the basket with one hand. So hopefully, and Larry Nance says he's shooting three-pointers all summer long. That's going to be his main goal. Uh, Lonzo's definitely going to fit in when it comes to running the break with those guys, kicking it out, finding open shooters. Um, and again, we, we can't ignore the fact that he broke Gary Payton and Jason Kidd's pack 10 or pack eight or whatever it was at that time, their, uh, rookie records for assists. He shattered it with like weeks left in the regular season. And uh, I don't think we can ignore numbers like that. So I do believe he would be a very good fit on our team. Am I saying he's going to be this transcendent LeBron James, Kevin Durant type rookie player? No, I'm not saying that for sure. Otherwise, he'd be the number one pick. Um, But I think he'd be a great fit. And I think with time, some of the weaknesses in his game will definitely improve because he seems like the type of player who's just going to put his head down and he's going to work extremely hard. Uh, there's that video of him with his brothers at 24 hour fitness playing pickup basketball after the Lakers found out they're going to have the number two pick. And Tommy, you said it not to take this out of your mouth right now, but that's like some Kobe Bryant type stuff where most guys you would think would just stay at home and celebrate and, and kind of chill. But he probably got so amped up from this that he's like, let's go play ball right now. (laughs) So that's a promising thing to me. Sure. I don't want to read too much into that, too, because this is social media age. And, you know, let's not be armchair psychologists. But I get it. You know, it was cool for him to, like, work out after that. Uh, I will say that he's a very cerebral player. And if there was any sort of Luke type player you could mold, it would probably be a guy like Lonzo Ball. And in another lifetime, Luke Walton probably would have wanted to be Lonzo Ball, just in terms of a guy you put out there who can, like, once if everybody's usage rates are going super high and like balls getting turned over and everything like that you stick Lonzo Ball in there to restore order and he's going to be the exact type of guy to do that and if you think the guys are being lethargic and lackadaisical you put Ball in there and he's going to force everybody to run so I think that's another positive I do think once Lonzo Ball comes in it's going to be up to Palinka to really reconstruct the roster and we've we've talked about this before and Tommy you can chime in on this but this is why you probably want to trade Julius Randle because it makes a guy like Julius Randle so much more expendable because Lonzo Ball would then be doing Julius Julius Randle type things in terms of getting the rebound and pushing the ball and instead of um you know, having three guys running with him, he'd probably also want a pick and pop option, which Julius Randle still at this point is not even solid at. So, uh, Tommy, your thoughts on Lonzo Ball's fit in LA and him being number two? Uh, yeah, I definitely get excited about it when I think about it sometimes. Like, he, there's so many things about his game that are great. And I think that last point you just said about Randle is really interesting because to me, the argue or the conversation should never be about can Lonzo and D'Angelo coexist because I think a hundred percent they easily could uh, coexist. Um, to me, the issue is more Julius Randle because Lonzo plays like such a similar style to Julius Randle. I mean, obviously he's way more in control and does so many other things, but like his bread and butter is let me get a steal or let me get a rebound as a point guard and push the ball myself. 
And that's what Randall likes to do. And he doesn't do it as good of a job at, uh, of it as Lonzo Ball does. So the no. question, yeah. So the question is like, if you end up with Lonzo Ball, are you going to be able to train Julius Randall to be like, look, I know like literally last year we told you you should grab it and push yourself. But now you have this guy who when he takes his first step, his first step is not amazing. Like it's not like, you know, Dwayne Wade or something off his first step, but like, or Kyrie Irving, but like when he gets a full head of steam, he is like faster or like, he's like, he looks to me as fast as John Wall. Once he gets like two dribbles under his belt, boom, this guy just like explodes. It's insane. I don't, I like, I don't recall a college player looking this explosive, honestly, since like John Wall uh, with the ball in his hands. So that part of Lonzo's game is really exciting to me. Um, his shooting is really exciting to me, despite his weird stroke. Uh, although I, I think you might have mentioned this earlier, or we've talked about this before, but his percentage of unassisted three pointers um, is lower than you would like a lot of other guards. Meaning that, like, he has to he like typically wants to be set up, I guess. But that to me is like mitigated by he takes like I, there was some stat that I wish I had in front of me right now, but I, I want to say it was something like 68 percent of his shots from three point range were contested. So like he takes and makes a high level of contested jump uh, jump shots. And Sorry, he, and I just I just want to add that he's also really good at that because I think when people see that shot contested, they think that he's dribbling into the three, but actually, you know, his patented shot is dribbling and taking a hop step back to the left. And he takes yeah. like a, a big leap and then he has so much space and then he shoots and, and he's able to make that. So that's where that stat's coming from. Yeah. Which, and it's weird. Right. And like, I think when Steph Curry was being drafted, he sort of has like this weird push release shot. Right. And I, I think his first couple of years, he was hitting the shot in the NBA, but it always was the situation where like, oh, can he get the shot off? The issue was not can he make it because he could make it. The issue was always does he have, can he get the shot off? And over time, he adapted to where like now the ball barely touches his hands. You know, he's coming around screens like and just getting the shot off somehow. So I, I think that Lonzo could even adapt more, which is like a little bit scary. His basketball IQ is insanely high. So like when he has the ball in his hands charging full speed towards the rim, you feel 100% confident and comfortable that he's going to make the right pass. And it's not necessarily going to be just the simple like, oh, let me drive it and kick. You know, he does so many weird things that like even I don't see or like, you know, and nobody sees like when you're watching the, the even on TV, like you can't see it coming. So the biggest issue for me, and if he can like prove in his workouts that he can handle this, then I am leaning more towards taking him number two is NBA teams are not dumb. And when they see that, like, almost 100% of the time when you go left, you're looking to take a jump shot. And almost 100% of the time when you go right, you're looking to pass or take it to the rim. You have to think of a counter to that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be that one-dimensional going those two ways because I know UCLA doesn't run a lot of on-ball screens. And I know, like, for example, the Warriors don't run a lot of on-ball screens. And if that's the direction our team is headed, then, like... Maybe it's not going to be a huge, huge issue, but it's still an issue. Like it's the NBA when th- when things get down into like the crunch time or whatever, you know, things start to your offense uh, bogs down and it gets kicked back out to the top and you need to just figure something out with uh, 10 seconds left on the clock. You have to be able to do something on the pick and roll that's not predictable. 
um, or that easily predictable. And right now, Lonzo's pick and roll game, to the extent he has one, is like extremely, extremely predictable. If he goes to the left because of his release, he's going to want to shoot. And that one I'm actually not as concerned about because he can develop a left hand to where like he's he just takes it to the rim and tries to hit a left-handed shot because he's so skilled. Like I, I have no doubts he'll have issues adding a left hand to his game. Um, the issue to me is always going to be how are you, if you're an opposing defender, it, every single time he goes to the right, I'm playing this guy to go to the rim because how is he going to get that shot off going to his right? Like it's your body is moving to the right and the ball is coming like from your hip, left hip. So just imagine trying to take that shot. Like <clears throat> it's so awkward. Like yeah. I, he's going to have to show he can hit a floater. He, he, he can develop some sort of mid range game. Or even, I think one thing I brought up before was like, he just develops that like Steve Nash probing game where he yeah. takes it off the dribble around going to his right around a pick and just like hard charges into the paint, but like is non-committal until the last second. Am I going to shoot a layup? Am I going to pass and keep defense on it? Keep, keep defenses honest. And he has such good passing ability that he can make any pass in traffic or like theoretically he, that's what he could develop into. So I don't know how hard that's going to be to train. His basketball IQ is so high that I don't, I feel like, you know, this isn't like a D'Angelo situation where we had as Ed Isaacson on and he told us this guy can't make the simple passes. And I think like in his first two years, he's gotten better. But like, look, D'Angelo sometimes does struggle with those like simple plays, right? Like he can make these weird highlight plays, but his simple play basketball IQ is not that great uh, so far. And I think that's where Lonzo actually excels. Um, So... Yeah, if he can develop those things, I'm leaning more towards him as the number two. But without those things, I can see why there are some potentially better prospects. Yeah, I I just had like two quick quick points. Yeah, go for it. Um, using my my UCLA basketball watching experiences, um, of the eight times he shot a mid range jumper in the past, I know I've said I can recall four or five times he has shot a mid range. I looked up the actual stat; it is a total of eight, so I was a little bit off there. It's weird. He doesn't do that crossover type motion where the ball goes to the left side, then the right side. When it's mid-range, he shoots it pretty fundamentally sound, or like typically. So I don't know what that's all about, but in terms of if he is going right and you know he has to pull up for a mid-range shot, oddly enough, he'll shoot it normally. So to speak. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that, though, because in the misses, in the weakness video, when they show him, he has to cross it back to the left, and then it's a really bad shot. I don't know if he, just in the makes he doesn't do that, so maybe he should stop doing that. But It could just be I an mean, inconsistency yeah. thing, because there was one time where I was like, what the heck, he didn't shoot it weird that time, you know? Yeah, but but even if he's if he I mean just like objectively, if he's dribbling right, it's not like he's gonna shoot with his right hand off of his right, unless literally his makes are all he just like doesn't cross it over to the left. So I don't know. And then the other point I was gonna make was in terms of running a lot of on ball screens, I've never seen UCLA do this as much, or really very many college teams at all. But they ran a lot of NBA type motions. Uh, for example, they do the, you know, the Lakers do that weave thing all the time, like the three man weave all over the place. UCLA did that, I would say, one out of every three possessions offensively. And they ran a lot of loops, you know, where they have that, that player running underneath the basket on the baseline and then there's a catch and shoot on the wing. They did that a ton this year. Um, they ran a lot of horn set too. And again, I watch 
a lot of UCLA basketball every single year. I've never seen them do any of that in my entire life until this season. So um, I would think that there's a high positive correlation with Lonzo um, and that happening. And the Lakers do it too. Go figure. So in terms of him learning that stuff, that's going to be a seamless transition because we did it so much. I was just going to say, and to add to that, it's almost like, I feel like Lonzo, one thing about his game is people always describe it as quote unquote frenetic. And it is frenetic. Like he plays at a blistering pace and he does a lot of crazy things, but like, he has also shown it's like when you're drafting a quarterback from college, right? If you have a quarterback who played in a pro style college system, it's those guys are always more valuable. And Lonzo, by like what Alan said, by showing that he has the ability to run these like like complicated NBA, semi complicated NBA sets as a college player, I think is really encouraging. He's not just getting, you know, like seven point six assists per game. Because he's so fast, he just gets a rebound and runs past everybody and like like does a Russell Westbrook charge to the rim and then dump it off to his big man for a layup. Like he's getting a lot of these assists within the flow of an offense. So I think that's pretty encouraging too. Yeah, and you know, it, it's always been said the ball moves faster than you know player or a dribble, right? And that's what Lonzo Ball excels at, like whipping the ball around in the air and getting an offense going. So Yeah, he's not like a Rajon Rondo high usage type like assist guy where he wants to dribble the ball for like 14 seconds and then find somebody like wide open for a mid-range jump Mm -hmm. shot to take the shot like when he had so he can get the assist that's another thing that again was frankly shocking to me when I watch more tape of Lonzo is the second he is feeling the double team like or sees the double team coming his reaction time to like whip these passes around is mind-blowing like he never is like thinking I want to be the guy to get the assist He's always thinking, I want to be the guy to get the ball where it needs to get to exploit the offense or sorry, exploit the defense. So that's another thing that's really uh, encouraging to me about Lonzo. For sure. And some quick rapid fire positives that I've seen, too, that haven't been mentioned is one, you know, Tommy, you mentioned his burst of speed. I think on top of that, like just his body control and his dribbling, the the way that he's able to change paces and still be very much in control is very impressive, where at times you look at D'Angelo Russell, he can be too herky jerky and too all over the place where Lonzo Ball, you feel perfectly comfortable with him, like running at any sort of speed and then once he gets that burst it's over because he is super athletic he's not athletic with his lateral quickness and on the ball dribbles but he is explosive off of two feet off of one foot when he's just jumping to dunk or alley-oop and stuff and then on top of that you know with D'Angelo Russell, these are two six foot four, six foot five, no, six foot five guards with six ten, six nine wingspans and so you know defensively they do have stuff to work on like you know off ball, on ball, like moving their feet laterally. But in terms of getting into passing lanes and like, you know, Lonzo Ball especially is is a very aware of, you know, he, he can get into passing lanes easily. We've seen it many times at UCLA where he just um, steals the ball and then, you know, takes it down for a dunk or something or a pass. And uh, I think that's something he's really good at, mainly because of his wingspan as well. So I don't, I think the defensive concerns may be a little overstated at this point, just because these guys are tall, these guys are long, and it can be, mitigated by the fact that you just put him in a good defensive system and they'll eventually learn how to play pretty solid defense, you know? So um, those are the other positives I want to throw out there. Uh, we won't have time for the Josh Jackson stuff. We'll, we have many more episodes to come where we can debate this and uh, what other potential we see in some other number two prospects. But 
With that said, I'm feeling a lot better. I guess my final question to you guys is, well, I have two questions. I was either going to call this episode Apocalypse Now for Paul George or Big Pauler Brand for Paul George and Lonzo Ball. So which which one am I going with, guys? I like Big Pauler Brand. Okay. Big Tommy? It's more, it's positive. more positive. Yeah, Big Pauler Brand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we're going to get both, right? So it's like you might as well put them together. Big Pauler Brand. I like it. Okay. And then my last question is, and we're kind of looping back into this, but what percentage are we putting on Paul George coming this summer versus next? I'm going to say 75% somehow, someway. Alan? 75% this summer? For yeah, you? this summer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, God. I would say 60% this summer. Tommy? I actually think 50-50, but that sounds lazy, so I'm just going to say 51-49 <laughs> that he comes this summer. Okay, cool. And honestly, I'm just going to say why I say 75%, because there's no way Pritchard is going into this uh, season with Paul George on his team. So the most likely scenario is he finds some way to try and work out a deal with Pritchard. So that's where I'm coming from. With that said, we have run over time, but thank you guys for listening. Once again, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, Alan, you got anything? Uh, that's how many times me, John Coxon, going to be up in here making three-pointers. So, you know, I'm looking for about a thousand threes a day. That's how many more new ratings I want is a thousand. And I'm still going to be a Laker, by the way. That's how many three-pointers Jordan Clarkson will be hitting for Indiana Pacers next year. So there you go. All right. With that said, thank you guys for listening. And we will catch you guys next time where we'll go more in-depth into the Josh Jackson and other prospects. So, Alan, catch you later. See ya. Tommy, catch you later. Later. Peace, Big Paula Brand. LeVar, are you there? Yeah, my boy gonna be here. Don't be calling no Big Paula. It's Big Bala, boy. Cool. All right. Peace. (laughs) Cool. This is what Flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit Credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.